this morning, as Nathan mentioned, we are um, doing something that we, we haven't done in a couple of years, I think, but something that I think has been um, a core part of, of our church's uh, history, uh, just this idea of, of how adoption is a picture of the gospel. And uh, as we were kind of thinking through this, um, we wanted to just uh, highlight different forms that adoption takes. And, uh, and Gina, actually, from the Pregnancy Care Center, she's supposed to be here today. She texted me this morning. Uh, she's like, I have a migraine, and I can't actually see right now. Um, so you guys keep her in your prayers. Um, she was going to come and share directly. Um, but uh, but uh, one of the things that we as a church have uh, said is that adoption is, is a thematic reality. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a sec. But one of the reasons that we think that the Pregnancy Care Center uh, is, is really important um, is because there is an invitation in there for adoption. Uh, there's moms who are going to go through periods of crisis, um, and, and they need some someone to come and, and adopt them. And actually, I, funny enough, in the video, like two of those moms that were speaking are actually people who have been part of our church family and have had families in our church like love, care for them, walk alongside them, support them, adopt them into their own lives and families. And so, uh, we just want to, as we continue to unpack the significance of this term adoption, how gets used to apply to what's happened to us because of what Jesus has done. We want to continue to act upon that. And so this is one of the ways that we can do that. And for the next couple of, of weeks, um, until Mother's Day, actually, we're going to have a fund available for you as our church family just to come alongside the, the work that the Pregnancy Care Center does. Uh, but just, just to kind of give you a little bit of background as why we, we started this sort of unofficial partnership with the Victoria Pregnancy Center. Um, as many of you probably know, as Christians, we, we believe that Jesus, that God, when he creates human beings, he creates them in his image and likeness. And that means that every human life is sacred, that it is something that should not be ever taken lightly. Uh, and yet, you know, as we find ourselves in, our, in, in this particular culture, um, there's been a practice in which human life is at times taken lightly. Um, and uh, and, and there's many ways that Christians have responded to that, and some are maybe a little bit uh, less helpful than others. But one of the things that we recognize is we can't simply shoot pot shots at a social issue from the sidelines. Like the invitation of Jesus is an invitation to step into those broken places. And this is one of the reasons that we have felt compelled to come alongside an organization like the Victoria Pregnancy Center, in which they're not simply saying, hey, we believe that, you know, we believe that life is important, but we actually want to step into those broken areas with these, these women who are making the decision to say, yes, I want to say yes to, to having this child, and say, we're, we're actually going to be your family in that midst. We're going to be your support structure. We're going to come alongside you so that you can actually do this uh, to the best of your ability well. Um, and so this is something that we have uh, just continued to value as a church family, and we want to continue to uh, just invite you to think about ways that you can support that by stepping into the trenches with these moms, whether that's through actually like being with them, hanging out with them, supporting them. Uh, there are times when Gina comes to us and she's like, I have a mom who's like, she's not in a safe situation. She needs a place to, to stay for a couple of months. And there's been people in our church that we go to and say, hey, do you have a space? And they say, yes. Um, or simply coming alongside a mom when she, 
it, it's like a new experience. And, and there's just moms who've been there before who say like, yeah, let me help you figure out some of those things, like how to change a diaper, feeding schedules, sleeping schedules, all those things. Um, and so, yeah, just want to continue to invite us as a church family to respond in that way. And again, that fund you can, you can give uh, in the lobby or you can give online. And we're going to have that open, I believe, until Mother's Day, uh, just as a way to continue bless and support the work that Jesus is doing through uh, Jean and her team at the Victoria Pregnancy Center. Um, so we are kind of taking a break. Uh, Easter is going to be next week, this Palm Sunday. Uh, but we're, we're kind of taking a little bit of a break um, in sort of our regular rhythms uh, this week as we, we center in and focus in on this idea of adoption. Um, it's really interesting that throughout the New Testament, oftentimes we actually see this word adoption get applied to what Jesus has done, to, uh, to, uh, Jesus has done for us. Uh, And I think there's something significant in that image that actually gives us a picture and a taste of the gospel. When we think about what adoption is and we think about what's happened to us in and through Jesus, there's a connection there that's actually significant for us to be able to picture. And so what I want to do this morning... So I want to take a little bit of time just to walk through one of the passages that, that talks about this theme of adoption. And, and then secondly, uh, we're going to actually have a, a group of people come up who have experiences in the kind of adoption, foster, and, and other areas kind of world just to help us start to ask, what would it look like for me to respond in, in a way that actually gives the people around me a picture of what Jesus has done for me in his spiritual adoption of us? So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. On a totally different note, some of people have asked, like, what are we doing now that Matthew's done? Um, Yeah, is anyone... Is anyone ready for another four-year journey in the book of the Bible? Uh, Chris has got something cooked up, I know. Uh, no, actually, we're actually going to be in Ephesians. So this is like this is not part of a series, but uh, it's a little preview of what's to come. Uh, so Ephesians, uh, a letter written by one of Jesus' earliest followers, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he's writing to a church that's gathering in Ephesus. And he's just explaining to them in the first uh, couple of chapters of his, his letter uh, how incredible... Uh, their life is because of what Jesus has done for them. So we're going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read through to verse uh, the beginning of verse 8, and then I'll just unpack a few things for us. So Paul writes this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul is starting off, and he's just simply like in awe. He's, he's thankful. He's expressing how incredible is this thing that Jesus has done for us. Like how significant, how amazing that we have been blessed with. And he uses that term, like every spiritual blessing. Like Jesus has literally given us everything he can give us. He's given us his very self. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. That he has lavished on us. Man, what an incredible picture that Paul's unpacking for us of our spiritual adoption, of the significance of what Jesus has done for us. 
As we look at this term adoption, I want us to be able to kind of see why Paul thinks that this term is an appropriate term to give us a picture of what Jesus has done. And there's four things in particular I think will help us that we'll see uh, that they connect with what actually happens in an adoption process with what's happened in and through the work of Jesus. So the first thing we see right away in in verse 4 is that it says, He chose us in Him. He chose us in Him. Uh, A couple of years ago, uh, Shannon, my wife, and I were uh, in this process of of trying to get pregnant, and it was not happening. Uh, some, some of you might be able to relate to this. And we've been trying, and been a couple years of trying, and, uh, and we started to think through um, this process of adoption, and we started to, to, to talk to uh, other people about it and start to hear a little bit more about it. And one of the things that like, was really strange for us is as we started to get more involved, um, like you, you get involved with um, like the, the government has these uh, agencies, right? The the Ministry of Family and Child Development, and they actually have like these um, these like lists of kids who need to get adopted, and it's it's just like it's this really weird surreal experience where you're it's like going to you know like the adopt a puppy and you can like read like a profile and it's it's such a strange and surreal experience. Uh, and yet, there's something significant about that, that we're actually getting to choose. You know, people can, can choose to try and get pregnant. Uh, people can choose to try and have kids, but, but you kind of get what you get. In a sense, this is a very different thing. Like, you actually can, like, foreknow something about this person that you are choosing. And, and this is uh, what... Jesus is saying here through Paul, he's saying that God, he, he actually like knows what you're like. He knows your issues. He knows your brokenness. He knows your past. And yet he has chosen you. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. As Shannon and I were um, exploring this adoption process, I remember chatting with a, uh, a family member who had actually adopted, and, and it had not been a good experience for them. They've been, uh, as this family member was telling me about their experience, they were actually quite bitter about it, um, very, very upset. Their uh, children that they had adopted uh, didn't, didn't, weren't currently in relationship with them. There was a lot of hurt and frustration. And as I was listening to uh, this family member share their story, something became a little bit clear to me, which was that um, this particular uh, couple who had adopted, they had adopted their kids not so much for their kids, but for themselves. They wanted to build a family, and they thought that this, uh, these children would fulfill that need for them. And they kind of expected that... It, they had done this great thing in adopting, which you know, it's, it is a significant thing, and that the way that the children would respond would just be in eternal gratitude and thankfulness. And that wasn't what happened, and it created a great deal of bitterness. But as I, I started to ponder this, what I realized is that they had come into this not so much for the kids, but for themselves. But what's so interesting about this picture of adoption that we get from Paul is that he says in verse 4 that 
that like God's adoption of us was for us to become holy and blameless in his sight. Like our adoption is actually for us so that we can become the kind of people that God has called us to be. I was reading a, a book recently. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And she tells a story. Uh, she's been he- heavily involved in the adoption world. So she tells a story. Uh, she adopted a 17-year-old girl. Um, and a lot of people are like, that doesn't make sense. Like, she's going to age out in a few months. Like, she's going to turn 18. Like, and then she's going to be an adult. And then, like, why would you go and do this process of adopting this girl? And it was uh, really interesting to hear her write out her answer. She said, uh, we recognized that our daughter, like, she, she needed a place to launch from. Like, she needed a place so that she could become the person that God was creating her to be. She needed that stability, that place where, where she could actually move forward from. They said, we, we didn't do it because it was going to be easy or it was going to make us happy but because it was the best thing for our daughter. And that's a picture of someone who understands our adoption in Christ. That he brings us in to his family so that we can be the people that he has called us to be. So the first thing we see is that we're chosen. In verse 5, Paul continues and he says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And and sorry, I missed this, but this is important. Uh, It says at the end of verse 4, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The second thing that we see here is that uh, our adoption in Christ is an act of love. It's an act of love. And because it's an act of love, it actually produces joy for God. I don't know if you ever think about that. I I think sometimes we have a really sterile view of God. Like he's sort of this unemotive, like, like, um, you know, robotic kind of machine. Like this is right. This is wrong. Do this. Don't do that. And yet, as we look at how God's described throughout the scriptures, like God is described as an emotive being. And it says here that, Like, he gets pleasure as he acts out his love in our adoption. And so the the second thing I think we we need to see here is that, you know, adoption is actually meant to be a joyous process, a process of bringing someone into your life and family. I, I know that many people have had really difficult times in adoption, and, and I think when, when we adopt and, and, and it comes out of a place of like obligation, you know, it's something that we think we're supposed to do, or it comes out of a place um, of selfishness where it's something we're doing for us and not a place of love, it can lead to some pretty difficult times. And yet, when it comes out of a place of love, it doesn't minimize the sorrow and the heartache or the pain, but it also allows room for that pleasure. So we get to watch and see this person come and experience life in our family. And this is a picture of what it's like for God. Like he, he doesn't come and think, man, I have to bring Andrew into my family. And he's kind of a pain in the butt, and I don't really like him, but it's the right thing to do. <laughs> like, it's actually a joy. 
It's a joy to have you in his family. Like, he actually loves that. And the times when we fail, which are frequent, the times that we mess up, the times that we forget that we're actually part of God's family and live like we're not, like God walks through us, through those things with us. And it doesn't diminish the fact that he is pleased to have us as part of his family. The third thing that Paul highlights, he says in verse 6, uh, that he does all this, you know, according to his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So the third thing that Paul reminds us of is that adoption is an act of grace. And this is really important. Because, again, we have to look at, at what's going on here. And what Paul is saying is, we weren't adopted because we were awesome. We weren't adopted because we were lovely. We weren't adopted because we were amazing. And God thought, man, I really need you on my team. I really need you in my family. My family's going to look so good if I have you. No, in fact, the, the Bible tells us the very opposite is true that we're rebellious, that when we look around at the world and the mess that is out there, that's us. That's our fault. That's our mess. And yet God, in his grace, says, I'm not going to adopt you because you've earned it, because you're awesome, but as an act of grace, because I love you. Um. As I said, when, when Shannon and I started to go through this uh, adoption journey, uh, they, they make you do something uh, called, uh, like, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called, but you have to do this uh, training. You have to do this schooling. And as you go through this schooling, what you start to realize is, like, if you're starting to consider adopting kids who are in foster care, like, they're in foster care for a reason. Because they've experienced a lot of trauma in their life. And, and then as you start to unpack that, what you start to realize is, like, that trauma has a significant impact on this child's personality. Like, it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be an easy experience. And I've talked to a number of people, and this has been the case for them. You know, they've, they've adopted children who are older, eight, nine years old, seven, eight years old, and it's been a real challenge. And yet, as I, I talk to those people, as they enact this as a, a way of showing the world what Jesus is like, they remind me, like, oh, I didn't adopt these, these kids because they were amazing. I adopted them because they needed it. It was an act of grace. It was an act of love. And that's an outworking of what Paul is saying is the reality for us in Jesus, that he adopted us because we needed it. It was an act of grace. We couldn't have earned it. We didn't deserve it. And yet, out of love, he said, you needed it. And so I'm freely giving it to you. And this brings us to what I think the final thing that Paul wants to unpack for us about adoption. He says this in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The, the final thing that Paul reminds us of is that our adoption, our spiritual adoption, was costly. It didn't come freely. It actually cost Jesus his life. 
As I said earlier, our adoption is, is mirrored when families go and they, in grace, adopt kids into their, their lives and their families that are difficult. And, you know, I've, I've chatted with families who have gone through this process, and, um, and it's costly. You know, when you get a call late at night because your kid ran away, or you have to talk them down from holding a knife at you because they're terrified and they think you stole them from their family. Or you have to watch as they make decisions uh, because someone in their life chose to use substances while they were in utero and they don't have the brain capacity to say no to some things. Or you simply have to care for a child for the rest of their life because they have been so damaged that they will never be able to become a functional member of society. That is costly. But that's just a mere picture, a mere snapshot of the cost of our adoption. It costs Jesus his life. So the reason that we often do this, uh, this thematic Sunday, Adoption of the Gospels, is because we actually believe that when we as a church family step into this process of adoption, that we are giving the world a picture of what Jesus is like. That when people come and they, they hear, oh man, like your church has actually stepped into the gap with, with kids who need to have families with moms who need to have brothers and sisters, with uh, people who are coming from other countries whose families are behind and are finding new families here, that, that we can say, yes, and we're not doing it because we're amazing and we're awesome. We're doing it because we've already experienced it in a much more significant way in and through Jesus. It actually is a great apologetic, apologetic an argument for the gospel, for what Jesus has done for us. So as we kind of finish off uh, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite some people to come up here with me. Uh, and these people all have some kind of experience with adoption. And my goal in this is just to give us as a church family a chance to hear from people who've actually been in these places of adoption and, and to start getting your juices moving a little bit. I recognize that not everyone will be called to, um, to adopt. And you guys can start coming up as I'm, I'm chatting. Um, I recognize that not everyone will be called to uh, adopt kids. Uh, and not everyone will be called to, um, to foster care and some of those things. But I do believe all of us are called to respond to what Jesus has done for us. And we, we talk about this frequently uh, in our church family, that whatever God does to us, he wants to do through us. And so what I'm hoping to do is just stimulate in your hearts and minds, some pictures of how people have been living out this idea of adoption. Come on up, guys. And, uh, and then to, to give you a chance to just hear uh, from that and see what happens as the Spirit kind of speaks to your own hearts and lives in this. And maybe I'll try and move this out of the way. Oh, this thing's like 100 pounds. <laughs> Shout out to our setup people up to set that thing up. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, do you, uh, are you, you want to yeah. give me a hand? We'll just move this out Great of the way. Down. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right, guys, why don't you grab a seat? I'll sneak over here and grab a mic for you. <clears throat> All right, so this is uh, our panel this morning. So, yeah. So, 
I know I'm going to put all of you guys on the spot a little bit, uh, but I do have some questions. But first of all, uh, maybe what I'll do is just get you to quickly introduce yourself. And as you do, uh, give yourselves, uh, just, just give everyone a, a little bit of a sense of like how you're connected to adoption, uh, you know, whether thematically or practically. Uh, so we'll start with you. And just pass it on when you're done. Uh, I'm Alicia Wheeler. I uh, am a foster mom to three little boys you guys might have seen running around us often. <laughs> uh, we have Robbie, who will be six next month, Keone, who is just turned five, and Nicholas, who is four. My name is Danielle um, Jalbert. I am an adoptee and also a um, birth mother so adopted a child away. My problem with Andrew speaking is he uses big words and I'm sitting here thinking, what does thematic connection to adoption mean? But I think I got it figured out. So uh, my husband and I, I'm married to David Gray. Probably most of you know him better than you know me. Um, but he's busy working right now. So we take in uh, lots of people. We started early in life. Um, yeah, having a house with four bedrooms and a kid in a walk-in closet so we could have people in the three other bedrooms. And we ended up along the road uh, starting to work with international students and bringing them into our family. And I'm sure you'll hear more about it later, but we range from, you know, two to four students in our house at any given point in time. And sometimes random uh, strangers just end up there too, which is fun. Uh, my name is Tim Sparrow. I am the youngest of four boys. Uh, all of us boys were adopted, and so we're all about a year apart. Our family is uh, pretty eclectic. Uh, my brother is uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, Aryan. Um, uh, my, the next oldest is red hair and green eyes. The third oldest is First Nations Indigenous, and I'm kind of bringing up the rear, so it's, uh, it's an interesting mix. Awesome. All right. Well, what I want to do is just ask each of you guys a couple of individual questions. So, Leah, since you have the mic, I will, I'll just start with you. Um, the, the question I wanted to ask for you is, what does it actually look like for you to adopt? Uh, you know, you talked about exchange students. So what does that process actually look like for you uh, to adopt an exchange student into your family? And how has that process actually been shaped and informed by your own understanding of Jesus' adoption for you? Yeah. Um, practically speaking, if you're specifically looking to work with international students, uh, outside of just putting an ad on Kijiji saying, if you're international, come live with me, uh, there's like programs you work with. There's a whole ton of them in the city. We've got a whole list if anyone's interested later. From a less practical perspective, I guess, um, for us, it looks a lot like... I don't know, probably the best example is when we first started the journey towards working with international students specifically, um, we had uh, a situation where we were looking for a three-bedroom house in Grand Prairie. God gave us a four-bedroom house, and we thought, oh, we're probably going to take someone in because God gave us more bedrooms than we need. And just turned out that like a week later, it popped up on Facebook. There was a Japanese boy who needed a place to live. He'd been removed from his previous homestay family because of behavioral issues after six months, and he was about to be shamefully sent back to Japan. My Dave speaks Japanese, so it kind of just made sense. This is what God had. We took him in for six months. He, I, I thought, hated me. 
to be honest. Um, we just had to finish off the rest of his one-year program. His culture didn't super respect or honor motherhood. Um, and so it was a really tough six months, but we worked through a lot of things. We took him in as a part of our family. We celebrated his birthday when it happened. We figured out what he liked and tried to drag him out of his bedroom and his depression to go do the kind of things he was interested in. And some of them were pretty boring for me, but we did it anyways. And uh, at the very end of this six month stay with us, he was about to go back. We thought, well, we took some pictures of things we dragged him out to do with us. Let's put a little photo album together and have a goodbye party. Got some of our friends together, took him to Boston Pizza, gave him the photo album, and he ugly cried for like 10, 15 minutes. Like embarrassing, ugly cried, like snot everywhere. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I knew you would react this way, I never would have invited you in public. I'm sorry. He was so embarrassed. Um, but I just had no idea. And then a year later, we hadn't heard from him. He writes us on Facebook, says, you just had a baby. That's when we had our first son, Jax. And um, he said, why didn't you tell me I had a brother? <laughs> and he told us that Dave was the uh, best, the only father really he'd had because in their culture, you don't really connect with your dads. They just work all the time. So that was our introduction to adopting students. It was very much, he was our kid. He was a part of our family. He was tough. I didn't enjoy the process, but at the end of it, I thought, oh, if this is what comes out of it, I would 100% do this again. So now we do it a lot. Yeah. Well, and maybe just unpack a little bit about um, just the way that you invest and involve kids in your life. Because you've, you've actually fostered uh, a relationship with these um, organizations where they will send kids uh, who have had bad experiences uh, to your house. So what's the difference in kind of approaching it with sort of a gospel mentality where you open up your life and how some of those other experiences might have been shaped? Yeah. Um, probably that first story I just told gives an idea of us going into it, and it gave us an idea of, like, you know, when students come over, in that case, he was high school. We work with all different ages, but you're leaving your culture behind, and there's a massive fear. You don't have friends here. You don't understand the culture. Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of fantastic homestay families in our city and around North America, but a ton of people take in students for the financial aspect, and they view it like a room and board, but you know, they're like lives. <laughs> and your homestay family because they need a family. And in, in our experience, depending on the culture, a lot of them don't have that. So uh, Dave and I felt like, you know, if we're going to take in students, they're going to be our kids. So yes, we pay for them to go on fancier vacations with us because um, that's what we do with our own kids. We don't eat out often. It's like an every six-month occurrence. But when we do, we take them with us, and they eat out with us. We celebrate their birthday parties. I don't know. We have a student right now that um, has some struggles with PTSD from her past, and she, uh, she had to leave her previous homestay family because uh, she had some struggles, and the family wasn't able to handle it. She needed counseling, and they thought she might have to go back home unless uh, we could take her. So we got a phone call saying, if you can't you know, make a spare room for her somewhere, she might not be able to stay. And we thought, OK, well, I guess we'll, at that time, we're squeezing her into an office until we had another space for her. Um, and she just was really emotional and cried a lot and had been told regularly in her life that uh, crying's not okay. It makes people uncomfortable. So now Dave comes up to her every morning and says, have I told you lately how glad I am that you're our daughter? And she bursts into tears almost every time. We all have a family hug. We keep going. Uh, students that have a love language of gifts and they show up with flowers for me or something, we figure out they like that. So then we start buying them presents. We play board games with them. We help them with their homework. Like everything you could think of, you would do with your own child. You're just doing that with a person and learning about them and their culture really quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so really what happens is, you know, some of these themes that we talked about, right, like you're not necessarily doing it, like you're, you're, you're doing this for the kids so that yeah. they have a home when they're away from their families that they can come and you can be like a mother and a father to them, care for them and love them. So, yeah. Yeah, something that surprised me about it is that um, we stood out. We just thought this is normal. Like they're a high school student. Of course they need that. Um, but we had programs saying, wow, we don't have any homestay families like you. And, you know, we've had multiple times they've now said, if, you, if your family can't take this student, I don't know if anyone can. And it's been more normal for us to take in the students that have struggled with working out elsewhere. And that's, like, just because we view them like our kids, which is actually uncommon, I think, in our culture. So it makes a big difference just to be like, I literally just love you. Yeah. it's <laughs> awesome. All right. Choose who's, who's speaking next. All right, Danielle. <laughs> All right, well, Danielle, I know adoption is like a, a very real part of your life. Not only were you adopted, but you've actually uh, had to, to give up one of your, your kids towards uh, yes. to a family being adopted. Yes. Um, so I wanted to ask you, as, as one who's kind of experienced both sides of this, um, what are your hopes, you know, as you think about the type of family that your son uh, went to, like what are the, your hopes uh, for what that family will be like? And, and then I'll ask you a follow-up question after that, but let's start with that. Absolutely. So I had just had my twins and then became pregnant right away again. And um, I was thinking about abortion. And I went to, like, the removal surgery. And I looked at the nurses, and I told them, you know what, I think adoption's the best. And um, so... With myself being adopted, I felt like this was an okay way to go because I was in a really good family. Yeah. 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 And what are, you know, as you, you went through that process of, of then giving up your child for adoption, what were the things that you really hoped for for your son? So the biggest things I hoped for my son were everything I couldn't do because I just had the twins. Mm -hmm. And I knew that raising three kids under three, how on earth am I going to do that? Um, so what I hope for him and what he's doing now is he's in golf and he lives in Texas and he's doing really good and we get uh, communication with him because it's open adoption, so yeah. it's awesome. And being able to still have that like connection in some way with your son, like how has that made this process for you? Open adoption has definitely been the best. Um, for myself, it was closed adoption. Mm -hmm. So I've always wondered, like, my heritage and things like that, medical history, things like that, yeah. um, where I feel like I would really like to know. And so with open adoption, I'm allowed to talk. Yeah. And we communicate. That's awesome. Um, and I, I'm curious, as you've kind of come to know Jesus and explored a little bit and, and maybe even just hearing this picture of, of our adoption today, how does the knowledge of your adoption um, into God's family feel based, you know, as, as you kind of think about even just, you know, being adopted yourself, giving up your child for adoption, like how does this picture of the gospel like just sit with you? It sits really well. Yeah. It sits very humbly. I will say that. It yeah. sits very humbly. Thank you. All right, you get to choose who's going next. Is it all right, Alicia? <laughs> 
All right. Well, Alicia, you're probably the one uh, on this panel who has sort of like the most, you know, as we talk about adoption, entering into that space. When we kind of think of like adoption in, in what comes to mind, you're, you're the one who's probably closest to that. Um, and I'd love to hear from you as, as you and Luke have stepped into this process of foster care. And, and as from what I understand, like this is kind of like functional adoption, right? Because it's not like you know, your boys are with you for a couple of, you know, months or a couple of years, like, you don't know, but it could be like they could be with you for their, their lives, right? Um, so as you guys have stepped into foster care, what, where have you been able to see the gospel reflected in your own life in, in this process? Um, well, I kind of cheated and I wrote it down, if that's okay. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, so we work for an agency, an Aboriginal agency called Nitwa. So their focus is to return the Aboriginal children either to their family or their community to preserve their culture. Uh, about five years ago, we started doing respite care for two different families. And we felt God telling us, you need to be these boys' parents, these two specific boys. And their foster mom at the time had three little boys, all around the same ages. <laughs> and one who had a lot of complex health issues that she wasn't really able to focus on because she had two other little boys. And so we heard God saying, hey, you need to be these boys' parents. You need to take over. So we tried. <laughs> we had a lot of red tape when it came to trying to make this happen. We were told that our dog was too aggressive because of the type of breed he was. We were told the wrong agency that the boys were getting transferred to after their court order. And we were told that we weren't able to because we weren't Aboriginal. This fostering agency just recently, over the last couple of years, has brought in non-Aboriginal foster families in fear that they would lose their culture if they didn't have an Aboriginal foster family. Um, so with every red tape, we questioned, is this really what we're supposed to do? <laughs> and at Christmas 2018, I went to my family reunion, and they, I broke down. I was like, I am lost. I don't know what's supposed to happen. I thought, this is what God told me to do. But this red tape me makes it seem impossible. Yeah. And my family put their hands on me and prayed. My family's the biggest prayer warriors I've met. But I seem to forget that when I'm struggling. <laughs> um, Luke 9.23 tells us that if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I heard God tell me to be these boys' parents. And I said, thanks. I got it from here. I know who to talk to. I know the paperwork I need to fill out. Not once did I ask for his help. Not once did I ask my family to pray for me. Hmm. I tried doing it alone. But once I gave it, up, gave it back to God, laid it down, within a month of returning home from Christmas, those two boys moved in with us. The red tape disappeared. And within a month of them moving in, we got a call about their little brother saying, hey, he needs a home too. Can you take him in? And that made us the family of five that we are today. Um, there are many verses in the Bible, in Psalms, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and Romans, that tell us, support the fatherless, defend the orphans, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. This is what we've been called to do specifically right now to these two boys, or three boys now. 
And we don't know what their future holds. We don't know next month. We don't know next year. We don't know the next 14 years until they graduate. And we're not guaranteed to spend all that time with them. But all we can do is love them and pray for them and teach them what we know to be true and hope that they will guarantee their future with Christ. Mm, that's awesome. You know, I, I want to ask a couple of follow-ups. Um, first of all, I imagine that as you step into this space of foster care that, um, that at times it's far bigger than, than what you and Luke are capable of. Um, so, so as we talk about this theme of adoption and you guys physically kind of stepping into this um, life, like these boys are your boys, like your, your kids, giving them kind of the rights and privileges of your children, what does it look like for us as a church to adopt you guys? Like how can we support you as our brother and sister in this process? I am not one to ask for help. So don't say, hey, what can I do for you? Just come do it, because I won't say, hey, I need this. <laughs> I will struggle until you physically see me that I'm struggling. Yeah, that's great, yeah. All right, we're gonna pass it down to Tim. Uh, so Tim, like Danielle, you have, uh, adoption isn't sort of something that you've uh, done, it's something that you've experienced. And I wanted to ask you, um, how does your experience of your own adoption, how does that inform whether it's an enhancement or distortion of your understanding of our spiritual adoption? Like what kind of, uh, how does that kind of shape your understanding? Um, and, and then kind of follow up for that is, you know, for anyone considering stepping into adoption, uh, what would be some things that you would just uh, want them to think of or know about as they kind of enter into that process? Uh, it, it may sound a little bit weird uh, to start off this way, but that it's unnatural. Um, that even when we take a look at God's adoption of us uh, in our broken, sinful um, humanness, uh, that's unnatural. To, to, you know, from Moses on the mountaintop of, you know, if I was to reveal my glory to you, I would destroy you. Like there's a certain um, aspect of that picture um, which kind of leading into the next question, and I think that you treated it adequately, that um, there, are, there are many barriers to adoption, fostering. Some of those are rooted in, in really fundamental nature of who we are and what we are as a species and as a, as a people. Um, one of the simple things I remember when um, I was having, uh, our, well, I wasn't, my wife was, but uh, we were having um, our first child, Aaron, and it was a week before, and I remember like just a light bulb went off and I'm like, this will be the first face that I see that reflects my own. Hmm. Like when we're in a biological family, that's pretty normal. That's pretty like you see your cousins, you see your nephews, you see your, your, your own children and your parents. Like there's a familial connection there. There's an immediate visual connection there. there this connection goes very, very deep and um, just to acknowledge and recognize that I was fostered in a, in a believing home, and I didn't understand that. I didn't know that until much later. I got some notes from my mom, um, and in those notes there was like an explanation of who I was, but there was also an explanation of that we're praying for him, that we're praying for him, that we're praying for him. That uh, similar in that like strength and capacity, um, the, the picture of the Holy Spirit and his love as he pours it into you and you pour it into this other child, 
just to acknowledge that that will be necessary. Mm. Like that, that in our natural state, there are so many things that are going to work against um, that loving connection between between parent and child. Mm. Um, there's a there's a, a theory today in human development which I think is apt. It's called attachment theory. Um, it talks about fundamentally that we're relational beings. That we are fundamentally about human and connection, about connection to one another. And the place that we learn that is within our mother's womb, and within our first relationship with our mother and within our family. And that in order to take on, like I was adopted, it's, it's interesting in my family, um, I was adopted when I was five. Mm. My story connects with addictions. Uh, so I know that my mother was an addict. Um, she wasn't able to care for me. My grandmother stepped in and tried to, to care for me. And then something happened and then I was, she wasn't able to. So I was put in a foster home. Um, but that my story is much different than the next child. So my indigenous brother um, has issues on the indigenous community side, on that side of the fence. But he was adopted when he was two. I was adopted when I was five. The other two were adopted when they were much younger. So there's, there is some aspect of that to recognize that the older children that you'll take in or take a look at uh, are going to present. I think that you, you shared it pretty adequately, that there's going to be trauma in lives. There's going to be brokenness. Uh, and that in that, um, it is ultimately the love of God shed in our hearts uh, that we can pour into another life. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, I wish we had more time to just kind of keep digging in. Um, but unfortunately, we don't. Um, but yeah, I, I hope, you know, for, for you, our church family, as you heard this, um, you, you know, it, it gave you some pictures of, of how this idea of our adoption can actually be put on display when we step into these uh, acts of adoption. And I think, again, we know that not everyone's going to be called the exact same thing. Not everyone will have the same calling as Alicia. Not everyone will have the same experience as Danielle or the same calling as, as Lee or the same background as Tim. But, but what we do have is the same spiritual adoption, and that should actually inform the way that we live. And so as, as Alicia just shares, like, man, um, you know, we, we need people who are going to be like family to us in this process where you're going to adopt us and you're going to say, like, I'm not going to ask what you need. You're my sister. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to make sure that there's a day where you don't have to think about a meal uh, you know, something like that uh, is incredible. But maybe some of us are actually called to open up our lives and our homes and our families for a, a child who uh, doesn't have one. Um, and, and at the same time, and, and maybe it's, it's uh, temporarily like Dave and Leah, where you have a couple of years uh, where you're kind of a surrogate parent. And yet in that time, you get to put on display your adoption um, from Jesus as you love and care for these kids in a way that is actually different than the average person where they're just like, this is just a gig. This is just like a way to get some money. I'm providing a service for this kid. You're saying, no, no, like this kid is going to get adopted into my life and my family and they're going to get the rights and privileges that my own kids would have. Um, and, and there's ways that that can happen with adults too. You know, one of the reasons that we decided to show this video from the pregnancy care center is uh, the, those moms will need to be adopted into families. The reason that they're in these crisis points is because they don't have that. And so we as a church have continual opportunity to come and step into the gaps with them and say, hey, 
We're going to love you like our sisters. We're going to care for you like our daughters. We're going to come alongside you like you are bearing our grandkids so that you can come and experience what we have experienced in Jesus. All right, thank you guys. Can we hear it for these guys? Thank you so much. Yeah, why don't you grab them? That'd be great. Uh, As we finish off here, uh, I want to just say a couple of last quick things. First of all, if you are interested in adoption foster care side of this, um, there are a couple of really great resources. There's some people in our church uh, who I didn't have a chance to interview this morning who've actually stepped into adoption. If you're interested, I I know they would be willing to chat. Uh, Secondly, uh, this month we have this book uh, as our book of the month. It's called Replanted, uh, and it is a phenomenal resource just to help us as a church family think about how we can continue to create a space uh, for supporting families walking through this adoption journey. Um, and so I just encourage you, if, if this is something that you're interested in, please grab the book and even just allow that to start forming your heart around how we can live out what we've just heard in Jesus' word for us. Uh, the final thing I want to say um, is uh, we have to continually be reminded that uh, you know, as we enter into these relationships that are costly, that, that we don't do it in our own strength, and we don't do it because we're awesome, but we do it because of what we've already experienced. And so uh, as we finish off our time together this morning, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Uh, but I just want to remind us uh, together that we have the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God because Jesus actually made a way for us at great cost to himself.